Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. In every episode, we're going to be turning back the clock and looking at some of the worst murder cases in history. In this episode, we're kicking off with a big one. It's Ed Gein, the Butcher of Plainfield. Shall we get started? Yeah. Are you ready for this one? Oh, and can you be ready? I like talking about dark shit there. You know me. Let's do it. How do you feel about being on a true crime podcast? I am so here for it. Mm-hmm. Like, I come from a naturally suspicious household. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you just wait. I'm, I've solved it already. I don't even know what you're about to, what we're about to talk about. Who's this guy? Solved it. He did it. Mm-hmm. Done. Also, our track record in terms of our friendship like we have discussed some pretty messed up stuff and made some pretty messed up confessions i don't know if that should go out into the public but um we're just all about it yeah i thought you're like the perfect person to talk to about this because i don't even know if you're going to be surprised or shocked or disturbed by it like, oh, okay I cool. really hope I'm disturbed by it. <laughs> I feel like yeah, I think we might be just something to worry about. If I'm like, oh, what a good idea. <laughs> Don't tell the producers, but um, I've been writing notes. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Ed Gein. And I'm, I'm excited by this one because I feel like Ed would be me and you mutually would be, find him interesting because he set the tone and was an inspiration for a lot of horror films. I think that this story is a great one to start with because of how historically important it is in terms of the world of true crime. Okay. And it's, it is exciting. I'm excited for you to hear this horrible story. I'm excited <laughs> and afraid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's... November of 1957. That had the sound effects. <laughs> and it's very, very cold. Snowy, in fact, I'd say it's snow covered the floor. Okay. And we are in a town in Wisconsin called Plainfield in America. And you could probably you could say that it's in the name. Nothing really goes on in Plainfield. It's pretty plain in Plainfield. Um, it's got a population of seven to eight hundred people. Quite small. Apparently, you could fit the entire population of Plainfield in one apartment block in New York. What? That's mad, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's very very quiet. And currently, in Plainfield, it is deer season. So it's even more quiet than normal because all all the dudes are out. They're hunting deer and no one's about. It's a ghost town, essentially. So no one initially realises that Benice has gone missing. Benice Warden, her name. And Benice owns the hardware store where you, where you, you know, hammers and stuff. <laughs> right. Right. So Benice has gone missing and no one notices because they're all out hunting deer. But then later on that evening, her son Frank comes home and he's like, what's going on? The lights are on. The cast register's open. Mum's not here. But then he looks down and he notices a blood stain across the floor. And he is like, oh shit, what has happened? He has his suspicions. So he knows that Ed Gein had been acting a bit suspicious the last few days around his mum. But then his suspicions were confirmed when he looked at the cash register and the last receipt from the till was Ed. The police at this point, they find the receipt and so they think, okay, well, so Ed was the last person in store. He might not have done it, but he might have seen what happened and know what's going on with Benice. So they get to his house and the police could never have predicted what they're about to find behind the doors of his barn. 
one of them turned on his flashlight and beamed it around and saw this object that was hanging from the rafters, which at first they thought was some kind of gutted deer. They realized to their incredible horror that it was a woman's corpse that was hanging by its heels. <gasps> oh, okay. It gets really bad, Danny. Oh, I'm scared. <laughs> it's so bad. So that wasn't it. It was truly a house of horrors. There was a lampshade made of human skin. They found the, the remains of 12 human heads, gloves made out of the, the skin from a corpse's fingers. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm not laughing. It's not funny. It's, not. But it, it, it's awful. That's Silence of the Lambs shit right there. WTF. Do you know what the thing is, though? Think about it. It's 19... What, 1957? And this is before, like, legit proper horror movies were released. Mm. Where was he getting his inspiration from? Because you hear about a lot of these kids that do all this stuff because they saw it on a video game or they saw it in a movie. And this is just some guy that lives in this huge farm on his own doing this messed up stuff. Oh, my God. At what point in his life did that just pop into his brain that he thought he was just going to go do that? just felt like it. Just decided, need a new pair of gloves. Skin is soft. <laughs> Shit. Shit. <laughs> what? It's messed that's up. That's mad. That, do you reckon that's where it came from? What science is that? It rubs the lotion on its skin. I've not seen it. Oh, okay. I, would, I wasn't allowed to is when I was a kid. Is that the right film? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know when you were a child and there were things that your parents said that you couldn't watch and still as an adult, I'm like, I'm not allowed to watch that. <laughs> like, I'm not allowed to watch Silence of the Lamb or The Green Mile. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way about The Exorcist. <laughs> the Green Mile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just remember specifically walking in the living room when my mum and stepdad were watching it and I was told to leave immediately. So I just never went near that film ever again. Do you know what? Um, oh, what's the one? I can't, almost Famous. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked into the room when that that film was on and that was one where, get out, get out now! Because he'd just said that his voice was good, so good because he ate pussy. And I was like, mum, what does that mean? <laughs> That's so just, get out! <laughs> Never watched it to this day. <laughs> Maybe we should have a day of watching the films that we were forbidden to watch. Yeah, right. And then follow it up with a Twilight. Uh, yeah, okay. Just to <laughs> like, calm down. So obviously, we do not know where where this behaviour came from, but it might be insightful if we go back to his childhood. So Ed was born in La Crosse County in Wisconsin in 1906. So that was a long time ago. So this is Harold Schechter, and he wrote Deviant, The Shocking Truth of Ed Gein, and he's got a little bit of an inside scoop on how he grew up. Well, the Gein family moved uh, to Plainfield from La Crosse, Wisconsin, um, partly because uh, the mother of the family, the matriarch, Augusta, had decided that La Crosse was a kind of Sodom and Gomorrah-like hellhole, uh, and she didn't want her children to be corrupted by all the immoral influences of the big city. Um, needless to say, La Crosse was not a particularly big city, but they moved to a remote farmhouse about six miles west of you wouldn't necessarily say downtown Plainfield because there was no uptown Plainfield. And then there's a guy called Max, Max Harrington, and he's always lived in Plainfield. And he he described it as a pretty modest place. It's uh, not the largest city in the state of Wisconsin, but it's plenty big enough for those of us that live here. Oh, Max, bless him. I saw him. I saw a picture of Max, and he's just a really cute a little old man. He sounds it. It's very sweet. So they lived on a 150 acre farm, which we've already told you is big because I looked on Right Move, and it's massive. Like there's a lot of space, and it is in the middle of nowhere. That's on the edge of town, sort of. It, you got a picture there. So he, this is Ed. He grew up. He moved cities. He has a brother. And he lives on this huge farm with just his mum and his brother. And his mum does not let him go anywhere. Like, he doesn't. he's not allowed to make any friends. Um, he can't talk to people that aren't in the household because she's just too afraid of them being a bad influence on the devil. And he 
I suppose Ed creates, he develops this weird relationship with his mum where he somewhat resents her because she's stunting his childhood and she's not allowing him to be a kid. But also because she's all that he knows, he uh, gets really close to her and reliant on her. And that whole family unit is all that he knows and is comfortable with, I suppose, as he's growing up. How would you feel if that was the case and and your mum told you that you couldn't go out and do things? Like, I would definitely put my middle finger up and go, fuck you, mum, I'm going to the park to drink vodka on a bench. (laughs) Well, I don't know, though, because you might believe it and you'd be like, well, I can't leave the house because I'm going to get, you know, shat on by demons and everyone's going to try and, I don't know, steal my virginity. Which actually, to be fair, doesn't sound far different from what my mum did used to tell me about leaving the house when I was a kid. So mm. um, I still haven't stolen anyone's skin, though. So No, I, I don't know. Yeah, you've got a fair point. I think if it's you're growing up and that's all that you know. Yeah, and I think also, like, if you're in such a desolate place, like, there's no... There probably isn't actually, even if she did let him go out, there's probably not that much, like that many kids around, how your best friend probably is going to be a pine cone. Yeah. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. So this is criminologist Elizabeth Yardley, and along with Harold Schechter, they think that his mother's obsession with purity completely cut Ed off from the rest of the world. His mother, Augusta, is a very domineering character indeed. She is a devout Christian and she has some very extreme ideas about sin and about morality. And she drums into her sons that they're not to socialise with anybody outside of the family because all of the the people around them in the local town are, are sinners, they're evil, all the women are whores. And so she creates this very insular family environment where they're quite isolated from the rest of the community and that has a really significant impact on them. Gein seemed to have been very friendless whenever he would make some kind of friend. On those rare occasions when he would try to make a school friend and bring home a school friend, uh, the mother would immediately find some reason to disapprove of the other child and forbid Ed from ever bringing him home. So he grew up again uh, in a state of complete social isolation. That makes me sad. Yeah, I kind of do feel a bit sorry for him. Yeah. He tried to make a friend. And then she, he has bad hair. Send him home. Sinner's hair. So Ed didn't just live with his mum. He also had a father called George. Well, the father George uh, was an alcoholic. He appeared to have been somewhat free in his use of uh, physical punishment. But mostly the picture that emerges of George is of a kind of a hapless individual who was, as all three male members of the family were, under the thumb of his wife. Uh, and again, who is regarded as much as anything else as a sort of obstacle or impediment to the household. I totally forgot about his dad. I'm really surprised to hear that he had one, to be yeah, honest. because his mum just overtook my brain. But he had a dad that was an alcoholic. So do you reckon um, his dad was an alcoholic because his mum may have been just too overbearing? Potentially. He was a bit free, free-handed with his discipline mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, classic combo. It is, or is it a classic combo? Is this the original combo? Because I just feel, feel like that's classic because of all the films. Yeah, that we now know that this is from. This, this is the, this is where it, this is the OG. Heck, 
bless Ed, as he got older, his life became even more insular. He dropped out of school when he was around about 12 or 13 to work on the family's farm. And he was considered to be a bit of an oddball. Um, he was quite a loner and he enjoyed quite solitary pursuits. So he really quite liked reading and was quite a prolific reader. So he was somebody who didn't really fit in, but worked incredibly hard to, to keep the family farm going. Yeah, he did like handyman stuff to, you know, fund their living costs and to keep the farm running. He was that guy in the community that was just a bit quiet, odd, didn't really, no one really thought anything of because he was just little old Ed doing his thing. Little Ed with his books. Yeah. He likes to read. And his oh. spade. His spade. <laughs> and his <laughs> other farming equipment. <laughs> the spade becomes quite a prominent prop in Ed's life. So. Oh, heck, calm yeah. down. Yeah. Oh, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. Well, what happens next then? I okay. can't, I'm just, my feelings. So the next thing that happened that was important in Ed's life was his dad died in 1940, died of heart failure, which if you're an alcoholic is probably, you know, it's going to happen at some point. So that left 33-year-old Ed, he was 33 at this point, his brother Henry and his mum Augusta alone on the farm. Ed's older brother, Henry, seemed to have freed himself a little more emotionally and psychologically from Augusta's dominance, and even apparently on a couple of occasions expressed some criticism of their mother and the hold she was exerting over both of them. So Ed, who at least on a conscious level, worshipped his mother and saw her as a kind of goddess who could do no wrong, appears to have been both a little shocked, you know, that Henry would find any cause to criticize Augusta and possibly built up some kind of animosity toward Henry for that attitude. So it's a bit odd, really. He's become quite somewhat obsessed with his mum. Like, he's developed this dependence on her and, like, they worshipped her like she was a goddess. And it sounds like she probably liked it as well. Yeah, but for a 33-year-old man... Bit much. I mean, we're, like, that age now. Can you imagine? Can't... No. Sorry, Mum. I can't. Obviously, his, his... Henry, his brother, seems just a little bit more with it. And even though even though he's had the same upbringing as Ed, like, it's almost like he's a little bit more of an outsider because he isn't so reliant and isn't worshipping their mum. He doesn't have this unhealthy relationship with his mum because he's happy to criticise her. He's happy to see issues with her. And obviously Ed is like, how dare you say that about my mother? And it's just... You can see how this might start causing a bit of friction between them. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, well, you're the younger child, mm -hmm. young younger child, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like he's probably is going to be closer to his mum and or sort of more involved in it. Because as an older sibling, you have that sort of perspective of mm -hmm. uh, you can see what's happening. Yeah. Whereas I think from a younger younger person, you'd just accept that as what happens. I only speak to my mum about once a week. <laughs> I'm not like it. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. How, how often do you speak to your mum? Uh, a couple of times, a couple of times a week, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know, we work together sometimes, so yeah, yeah. I have to speak to her. So it's awkward not to speak to her. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 1944 now. Ed and Henry are out on the farm, and they are trying to put out a bushfire, and then it it doesn't end well for Henry. That way. Ed and Henry were out there trying to put out the fire and uh, they got separated and Ed could not locate Henry and he went and got help but then after getting this help he led the other people directly to where Henry's body lay and there were some mysterious bruises on Henry's head. Anyway, the official verdict of the medical examiner was that Henry had died of a heart attack while fighting this fire and had injured his head when he fell and hit a rock. But afterwards, when Gein's crimes were uncovered, there was a lot of talk 
that perhaps uh, Henry had been a victim of Ed's, that Ed, in fact, had killed Henry partly because of Henry's criticism of Augusta. Like, imagine murdering your own sibling because they said something about bad about your parent. <laughs> that's, that's not okay. It is not. And that's when you know that your obsession with your parent is a little bit too much. Well, do you? Because if you already murdered someone because they've said something bad about your mum, okay, someone, you've murdered your brother, because mm-hmm. which he definitely did, like mm-hmm. as soon as I, he led him straight to his body, bang, mm-hmm. he did it, it's him. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. So the dad's died, the brother's died, Augusta did not take it well, bless her, in her older age, and she had a stroke. Oh. And Ed nursed her because she wasn't a, she wasn't an okay lady so ed looked after his mum and it got a bit weird like he would get into bed with her and lay with her and just got a bit i, I don't, a bit uncomfortable basically okay yeah, yeah. Uh, but he had his mum to himself so he was very happy that it was just them two That didn't last very long. For 19 months, that lasted, and then she died on December 29th of 1945. And he was 39 at this point. He was 39. Oh, Ed. Let's say it it hit him hard. Because his mother was so domineering, I think she really did stunt his development, and he almost got stuck at a kind of teenage adolescent phase in his life. So looking at how he behaved at the funeral, he was in his 30s at this time, and he was reported to be wailing like a small child. So he hasn't got that kind of emotional control that's associated with 30-something men. The death of his mother uh, left him completely, completely isolated. You know, living in this increasingly ramshackle, dilapidated farmhouse that he ceased to take care of whatsoever. Augusta was his only real human contact. So it was at that point, you know, that Gein embarked on these various outrages that would ultimately make him this notorious figure in American crime. So Ed is, he's now on his own, completely on his own in that farmhouse on that 150 acres of farmland in Plainville with no friends because he wasn't allowed to make any friends. Oh, his mom. Yeah. She's gone. Sad. It's sad. But is it sad? It is sad. It is sad. He's on his own. I know, but it was messed up. I know it's messed up, but like, oh, he must have just felt so sad. Yeah, and he was so sad, he did some pretty messed up things. November 16th, 1957 was the first uh, day of deer hunting season that year. Uh, And it was a day when basically the entire male population of the town uh, would have been out in the woods hunting deer, as Ed knew. Um, Ed drove into town to the Warden Hardware Store Uh, The Warden Hardware store was owned by a woman named Bernice Warden. I knew Mrs. Warden quite well. She and her family ran the hardware store here for many years. Almost everybody in the community knew Mrs. Warden. Ed had kind of been hanging around the store for a couple of weeks previously. Uh, He had developed something of an obsession with Bernice Warden. He would talk to her, um, he would ask her out, and it it was quite clear that she, she really wasn't that interested in him. Ed came in, uh, asked to buy a half a gallon of antifreeze, which Bernice Wooden poured out for him and wrote out a receipt. Uh, he went back out to his truck, then came back inside and asked her to see uh, a rifle that was in the window. When Bernice Wooden turned her back to him, he shot her in the back of the head and then loaded her corpse in his truck and drove back to his farm. So Ed just walks in and murders Bernice. Fuck. In broad daylight in our own shop. Back of the head. Fuck. It was deer season, so deer season is like a ghost town around here. Everybody, in those days especially, everybody was out hunting. And she wasn't even missed for quite a, for some hours. Later that day, 
Frank Warden returned from the woods and found the store empty. His mother wasn't there. He was very perplexed by that. And then he saw a trail of blood uh, across the floor of the hardware store and not only realized, you know, that some foul play had occurred, but immediately suspected Ed Gein because Gein had been kind of bothering his mother for the past few weeks. And not only that, Ed, sloppy old Ed, left a very key piece of evidence. Forensic psychologist Helen Morrison explains what that key was. When they went to search the place, they found the receipt for the antifreeze that was in Ed's name. And they just worked backwards, saying that he was probably the last person to see her alive. But they didn't suspect that he was as deranged as he was. Bit of a rookie mistake. I mean, he could, I mean, to be fair, because they didn't suspect him initially, they could have thought that he may have had a clue. He might have seen someone in the store being a bit dodgy, an outsider, Mm. perhaps. Yeah, true. Equally, if you, you sort of know you're going to shoot someone in the back of the head. Yeah, you're not going to. Leave your name on a bit of paper. Even just, you might as well just take Ed. a picture outside. <laughs> Ed was here. Ed was here. I mean, he's probably all out of sorts anyway, so he probably didn't even think about it, did he? Not the hottest spice in the spice rack. Mm-mm. One set of lawmen went out in search of Gein. They found him having dinner at a neighbor's house and they arrested him. And then another set of lawmen went out to Gein's farmhouse Uh, And that's where they made these discoveries that really sent shockwaves around the world. Danny, how would you feel if you'd invited me over for dinner, but I'd just shot someone in the back of the head? Do I know you've just shot someone in the back of the head? No, the police come in and go, we're going to take her because she's been a bad girl. Oh, right. Well, I'd I'd be surprised, Helen. (laughs) Imagine that! You just... Made a nice batch of chilli, got some guacamole and some tortilla chips. And then, what's that on your hand, Ed? It's a little bit, is that, is that, that? red? What's that? You've got red on you. Yeah. Little do they know. But anyway, the police, they start to search his house. They couldn't get into the house. Uh, so they went around back and entered into what was called uh, the summer kitchen, which was a little shed outside. This property didn't have any electricity, so they were pretty much fumbling around in the dark with with flashlights, but I don't think they expected to find what what they did find there. One of them turned on his flashlight and beamed it around and saw this object uh, that was hanging from the rafters, uh, which at first they thought was some kind of gutted deer. Uh, They realized to their incredible horror that it was a woman's corpse that was hanging by its heels and been completely gutted. That was the body of Bernice. She'd been strung up, essentially, and and she was slit from her her sternum to her her pelvis. So she'd essentially been butchered by Ed. It really was the the most grotesque thing that, that these officers had ever come across. And of course, both of them just stumbled out in horror and vomited, you know, at the sight of this thing. They moved from the shed into the main house. They discovered these uh, incomprehensible, unspeakably awful objects that had been fashioned out of human body parts. There were chairs that were upholstered in human flesh. There was a lampshade made of human skin. They found the the remains of 12 human heads, gloves made out of the, the skin from a corpse's fingers. There was a jar containing human noses. There was a box full of female genitalia, some of which had been painted um, and tied with ribbons. Uh, There was a belt fashioned out of female nipples. Uh, There was a shade pole made of human lips. They found all types of things that belonged to people that were no longer people. Ed Skeen's farmhouse was the habitation of a literal ghoul. You know, somebody who had been living amidst these horrific relics of human dismemberment. It was a madhouse. How do you feel about that? I don't even know. Nipple belt. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? Like, he had me at 12 human heads. What? And then, and then, oh, just cash. How many people? 
how many people's nipples? Like, how many people? Because you can only get two off one person. <laughs> how many people went into that bell? <laughs> I'm dead. What? <laughs> like, and that's not even the, what was it, a box of vaginas? What? That he painted and wrapped oh in ribbons. God. <laughs> what? Why, Ed? 12 human heads plus it's like a really sick maths question isn't it like ed has 12 human heads he also has a belt that's made of 96 nipples and a box of 24 vaginas how many people did he kill does anybody know oh oh my god i wasn't prepared danny it doesn't stop there among the most hideous of all the items were uh, human skin masks that were hanging from the wall of his bedroom, the faces of women that had been flayed from the skulls and that had been preserved. Some of them had lipstick applied to them and that had been hung on the walls as decorations. And then, most notoriously, there was a skin suit that Ed had uh, crafted out of the upper torso of a woman and the leggings of a woman. And apparently, as he later confessed, he would put on this skin suit and put on one of the female skin masks and caper around in his yard, pretending to be his mother. You know, you can actually uh, Google and it comes up, you can see what he did. There's pictures. There's actual pictures. Right. Online. It's horrific. I actually... Like, I know deep down I don't want to see them, but I absolutely want to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I I have a real issue with the way he, he capered around mm-hmm. in the skin suit. Pretending to be his mum. So at first, I th- I imagined him just going out and killing people, taking their bodies out of cars and stuff, um, and using their bits to create his creations but actually he found his victims by digging them up and stealing them from graves shut up mm-hmm. no two years after the death of his mother in 1947 he starts grave robbing um so he's going into to a local burial ground he's digging up bodies and he's taking things from the bodies. Now, he's not taking jewellery or, or items of any value. He's actually taking body parts. So what he's doing in a really grotesque way is trying to bring his mother back to life in, in some way, shape or form because he was just so dependent upon her for a sense of his own identity. You know, in in the old days, they used to put wire and then iron bars around graves to stop grave robbers from taking your valuables from your body. Um, so now it's just a case of protecting your vaginas from Ed Gein. I mean, and nipples. <laughs> why there's yeah, he wanted to rebuild his mum from he wanted to rebuild his mum from the dead body parts. How does that explain the box of vaginas and the nipple belt? It does not. I just really feel like there's they're missing a point here. I'm very distressed. Oh, and the ribbon. The ribbon. <laughs> God, the ribbon. That oh. I just right. And where is the ribbon? <laughs> I imagine it like being cinched in the middle, so it kind of goes in, like, <laughs> like, because I've got like almost like a corset mm-hmm. image of like a. Whoop, oh, the, I just pictured one the, or like through the hole. <sighs> Heck, Oof. hang it up like a bauble and. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyway, Ed, as you can probably imagine, is now in custody and so the police could search even more. No. Nothing could have prepared them for what they are about to find. No. Inside a paper bag, they found a severed head of a woman who had been missing from Plainfield for three years. There had been a female tavern keeper named Mary Hogan uh, who ran this roadside tavern outside of Plainfield um, who had disappeared very, very mysteriously. In searching through Gein's House of Horrors, the uh, investigators 
opened up some receptacle and, and, and saw this face and uh, pulled it out and realized it was Mary Hogan's, that she had been another one of these victims. Yeah, so he murdered Mary in December 1954, which was three years prior to killing Bernice. And he even confessed to some of his friends at the time that he did it. But because because he was like the nice guy that was unassuming and they just thought it was a joke that he was being sarcastic and they just overlooked it. What? <laughs> oh, what? What? Yeah, like, so they would go, oh, Mary's gone missing. And he'd be like, oh, no, she's she's at the farm. She's at the farmhouse. And they'd be like, oh, oh Ed. Oh, because I'm like envisioning that they're like oh no she's missing and he's like yeah i fucking killed her and they're all just like oh lol ed you joker because <laughs> you wouldn't you'd be like bit inappropriate mm-hmm. not too soon i mean even her, even him suggesting that he's at her farmhouse is a kind of a bit... a bit much like just a little warning signal although once again i'm at your house i'm having dinner and you're like lol i just fucking murdered somebody <laughs> And their head is in a bag. And I'd be like, <laughs> Helen, show me. Because I don't believe you. Uh, I think you would, though. You would believe what, believe me. you? Yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> um, but we should do this again sometime, yeah. maybe. And then I probably would avoid <laughs> just while I check out, you know, nobody's gone missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back at the police station, detectives are trying to get Ed to talk. Well, for the first day after his arrest, I think Ed felt like a, a bit of a fish out of water. He didn't quite know how to react. But he did start talking after about 24 hours. And the first thing he said was that he wanted an apple pie with a slice of cheese on it. And that really does show the the emotional immaturity of this guy. And when you've got somebody whose development stops at a particular point, they they don't develop those complex emotions that enable them to empathise with other people or to think through the consequences of their actions. So what you've got here is a a teenage boy in a man's body and he was capable of some, some really terrible things. But he did finally start to talk. When the police first broke into Gein's house, and discovered this crazy mass of body parts. Their first assumption was Gein was a serial killer. Uh, It was only during his interrogation that he revealed that they were um, taken from the corpses he had dug up from the local cemetery. And people, in a way, had a harder time believing that than that he was a serial killer. That seemed like totally beyond the bounds of belief for a whole variety of reasons. I'm not sure he did recognize that what he was doing was wrong. You know, there are some necrophiles who think, well, I wasn't really hurting anybody. You know, they were dead anyway. I completely see that as a complete violation of someone, even if they're uh, not alive. What, stealing their body parts? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Um... It took me a little while to get over the apple pie with cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I've made my peace with it now and I feel like I actually kind of want to try it. Does that make me a murderer? (laughs) Am Mm. I a psychopath? No, that that did imprint on my brain for a bit as well when I first heard that. I was like, hmm. So Ed claimed that he was in a daze when he was grave digging. I don't believe it. Like, you're in a daze. You're in a happy daze. He, he, He loves it. I'm suspicious. Okay. You're in a daze. How do you, what? You're in a daze. I accidentally robbed some nipples. <laughs> it's not an accident, Ed. But I don't know. I don't think they initially believed him. So they, investigators, they went and they dug up these graves to see if he was telling the truth. When they uncovered them, they discovered that the coffins had been broken into and uh, the bodies were missing or... You know, there were just parts of the skeleton remaining there. He admitted to grave robbing nine corpses, but the maths didn't quite add up because the police had found 12 human heads in Gein's property and he'd only admitted to to 11 offences against separate people. So, So the numbers never really added up properly. So there's always been questions over that. And all of the bodies that he stole were women. 
And they were all old enough to be his mother. I think he was both trying to rebuild his mother, um, but I also think that he was taking revenge on his mother. That kind of love and hate of mommy um, were manifested both by his attempting to bring her back from the dead, but also perpetrating, you know, these atrocities on the corpses of female bodies. There's some indication that he initially tried to exhume his mother's corpse. You know, apparently Ed missed the presence of his mother so much. You know, he wanted to bring her back and somehow, in his madness, you know, reconstitute her uh, in his household. Uh, he couldn't get to his mother's grave because uh, the soil in that part of Wisconsin is very sandy uh, and many coffins are buried within concrete vaults to prevent the sand from collapsing on them. And that was apparently true of, uh, of Augusta Guin. So do you think that if he had actually managed to successfully dig up his mum, which he couldn't do because they'd put concrete over the top of her grave, do you think that he may have done so much damage, like buried up, dug up so many people to try and recreate her? He could have just had the real deal. I do not see how... If he had his mum, mm. like, if he's trying to recreate his mum from all these people, why do you have a belt of nipples? Why do you have a skin chair? I don't, I cannot get my head around. I do not see, I don't, I don't get it. So, yeah, I do. Because he'd just have his mum and he'd be like, look, mum, I've made a chair out of skin. Maybe he's and just... she's just dead but in may- the chair of skin. But he... I don't know, maybe he's just one of those people that likes to use every single part of the body. You know, like... When I cook a roast chicken, Philip's always, oh, we have to keep the bones. We have to keep this bit we could make a vegetable stock. We could make a stock out of that. We could do that with that. Maybe he's just like, right, so I've got the glove. I've got the hands for my mum, but I'm going to use her nipples for my belt. And <laughs> I'm going to put her vagina in a jar with a bit of ribbon because it's it's not wasting anything. I can't bring myself to agree okay I just feel like if he had his mum in the first place he wouldn't have had he wouldn't have had to go through all this but I can tell you that one of his inspirations for creating his furniture out of skin was he he developed a fascination uh, reading books about um, Nazi prison camp scientists that would take patches of skin off prisoners and use them for things Oh, mm-hmm. well, that's equally as unpleasant, actually, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 1957, Ed was finally charged with the murder of Bernice. And as you can probably imagine, the very, very quiet town of Plainfield was descended upon by news reporters, photographers and journalists. In they came. Well, the cultural context of the Gein case is quite an interesting one um, because I think this was, was one of the, the first cases that, that gathered an awful lot of attention. There was a media circus that developed around this because nothing like this had, had ever really happened before. It was something completely new. It spread uh, very quickly through the local newspapers and, uh, you know, and then through the Associated Press and so on to the national media. You know, uh, a plain field, which you know, had always existed from the time of its founding in happy obscurity, you know, suddenly found itself to be the centre of national and even international attention. But it's now up to the courts to decide if Ed was responsible for his actions. Um, He did confess to killing Bernice. Good. (laughs) Bit obvious by then, Ed, isn't it? But apparently he didn't remember it because he was in a daze. Rude. And he said that he thought he was dressing out a deer. What? So on November 21st, 1957, 51-year-old Ed Gein pled not guilty by reason of insanity. There were indications that Ed was clinically psychotic, uh, that he had hallucinations, uh, that he heard voices, or the trees would start talking to him. Most serial murderers are not psychotic, but Ed seemed to have the symptoms of some form of psychosis. I mean, that's you on a typical weekend. Me? 
after your summer it was. Less murdery, thank you. <laughs> That's why me. You don't go around <laughs> hanging people from the hills in your barn, but whatever. So he was then, he was sent to a central state hospital for the criminally insane. And basically all the horror nerds fled to Plainfield to go see what it was all about. And they they named it the hometown of the butcher of Plainfield. It came a tourist attraction. In 1958, the property that, that Gein had lived in was, was due to be auctioned off. And I think the last thing that local people wanted was for this to become some kind of shrine, some kind of attraction for people who were morbidly fascinated. So a few days before the auction, the, the property was, was burned to the ground, essentially. A lot of talk of arson. The, um, they had been cleaning up around there and had been burning trash up around the, uh, that, that particular day too. So then that was, or anyway, that was an excuse of a possible cause that maybe the wind got something uh, in the evening and got some live embers in there. A lot of the neighbors weren't too happy with having talk of it being turned into a museum of uh, sorts, and, but, that was that there was there were a lot of stories anyway it's gone people still kept coming though even after the house was gone for a year still had people coming to drive by the empty lot where the house used to stand that's me <laughs> sold like I, absolutely not not after it had burned down cuz a bit of a trek to go and see just a patch of earth mm-hmm. but yeah absolutely i would have been one of those people to go see if you live nearby I want to see a skin, a chair made out of skin. <laughs> like, is that bad? No. <laughs> you want to see it? Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely going to Google pictures after this. Like, I don't want to own one. I definitely don't want to make one. But yeah, it's happened. I want to see it. Would you lick it for £50,000? <laughs> uh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> I'll do it for a tenner. <laughs> Domino's takeaway. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I imagine it would be like a dog's rawhide toy. Oh, you know, yeah. It's kind of scratchy. <laughs> <laughs> I really want this nipple belt. Anyway, anyway. So, uh, Ed, he remained in the Central State Hospital for 11 years. He didn't go to prison, he went to hospital. I think he may have played that one. But anyway, he went, he went on trial again in November 14th, 1968. And... Finally, the judge reached a verdict. He was tried and found guilty of the murder of Bernice Warden, but then he was judged insane and stuck back on the mental institution. I think that was possibly somewhere where he may have thrived because he had structure, he had a routine, he had people watching over him and looking after his needs. Ed died of lung cancer in 1984 and he was 77 when he died. This next part, I think, is a little... He was buried next to his mum in the same graveyard he stole the bodies from. Oh, Uh, It's a bit of a piss-take, isn't it? Um, I wonder how the locals felt about that. That is a liberty, Mm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, okay. You'd be annoyed to be, like, the grave neighbour. Yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, if you had the plot next to theirs and you weren't in it yet. Up for sale. <laughs> this is crazy. This is Liz and Harold explaining what people keep stealing from Plainfield. In the year 2000, uh, somebody was found to be selling parts of the, the gravestone um, that had been erected at, at Ed Gein's grave. Well, they keep putting up headstones and the headstones keep disappearing. There's a whole category of collectible that has come to be known as murderabilia. And uh, Gein, uh, Gein relics are particularly prized among people who collect that kind of morbid relic. Go on Wish.com. You can get a good fake, can you? But also, like, I'm not being funny. What, who, who buys that? Mm. But, oh, yeah. Come over for dinner. You can sit next to the... Um, is he classed as a serial killer? I don't know if he's classed as a serial killer because he didn't kill anyone. Well, he did, but no, they were all already right. Come this. I don't even know what to call him. Come and sit next to the rock. Come and sit next to the headstone 
of this very troubled man. Yes. And we're like, oh, well, thank you, Kathy. Yes. And yes, I will have some more soup. Mm, what a lovely gravestone. <laughs> what? I know. Weirdo. I know. Sorry if anybody listening to this is one of those people. Tell us why. Why? Why would you have that? Why would you have that? Equally, if some I went to somebody's house and they did have that, I'd probably be like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Google that when I get home. <laughs> All my own. It's been over 60 years since the crime now. And he is an, a figure of American folklore. They've made every single horror movie is basically about his life. Like, you've got, you've got movies like Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, Silence of the Lambs. He's a very inspiring guy, Ed. Yeah, I feel phrasing. <laughs> Inspiring in a bad way. Mm-hmm. If if you felt like you've heard enough, Danny, yeah. I'm going to leave you with this one. I received a letter from one of his neighbours who used to be a friend of his. Uh, she was a little girl and she remembers going over to his house and he would serve soup and everything. What turned out the soup bowls were the skulls of many of his victims, and people never knew it. Uh, <laughs> you were saying about soup earlier? Oh, he was. Oh, soup. Oh, Ed. Oh, what? How did that? How? What? Why? Ed. Heck. Heck. Next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We'll be delving into the world of the UK's most dangerous woman, Joanne Dennehy. That bitch. And when I say she's the most dangerous woman, boy, am I not joking. Make sure to subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And we would love it if you could leave us a review. We love to hear from you. Special thanks to Woodcut Media and our wonderful producers at Audio Boom Studios. 